There we there we go. I got I got my Dunkin' Donuts ad. Hell yeah. Enjoy the Dunkin' Donuts ad. Wait, actually, you got a Dunkin' Donuts ad? Half the time I feel like I just get uh Amazon Prime video ads specifically. Well, I just I just canceled my Amazon Prime for the foreseeable forever. And so I uh I think they know that they're not going to be able to get me back. Did you cancel it because like the service is it really doesn't seem like it has it been a decline of service? Do you realize you're not paying for things that you actually use? What what kind of combination are we talking here? I've worked very hard to divest myself from my sort of in, ingrained Amazon purchasing behavior for, uh, I don't know, since like college. And I finally got to a point where it's just like, okay, it's it has absolutely no use to me any longer. I'm free. I have uh, cast off the yoke of convenient one-day or two-day shipping on most items. I mean, it seems like I, I don't even get my packages that quickly anymore. So, Yeah. Apparently, uh, I don't know. For, for me, there, there's like a, a convenience of having some of the shipping be free because occasionally I'll get some gear that's like on the heavier side. Which yeah. then, if, if it happens to qualify for free shipping, then it's like, oh, well, that's brilliant. I guess I maybe saved like 40 or $50 on giving this sent out. But, but for the most part, I, I honestly don't know um, if I should keep paying for it either. It's something I probably need to take a hard look at. Because every year, it seems like they raise the price for every couple of years. So now it's what, like more than $100 a month. I think it's like 120 Yeah, for ouch. a year. Which I'm also not the best person to take advantage of the Amazon, uh, like the free games with Amazon. Like, I, oh, I think that's right through Twitch. Yeah, the the one thing I do use, I think, is the free Twitch Prime, but that's about it. Uh, anyways, guys, welcome. It's uh, Tangential Advisory Podcast, Episode Nine. Today, I'm joined, as always, with Scott. That's me. <laughs> How's it going? I, I, for a second, I was like, wait, why am I introducing you? That's uh, fine. I'm joined by Neil here, uh, yeah. as you all know. What's up? How are you doing, I'm Scott? Good. I'm exhausted, Neil. The heat after like a week straight of almost triple digits really takes a lot of energy out of you. Are like you, a lot. Oh. Are you on a second floor or like... I see the this is window. a basement floor. It's, it's this a, is basement. a basement floor. It's not yeah. even a basement. Like when a window's that big and there's that much sunlight, that makes me think it's not like an uh, what is it? An egress window? Is that what they call it when like they uh, actually have when to it's dig partially, out? Partially, yeah, yeah. Well, we're my my uh, my parents have a beautiful home that is built into a mountainside, and so it's a walkout yeah, basement. This, yeah, it's a walkout basement. Uh, I don't know any housing or architecture terminology, which is sad. I really should work on that a little bit more. I feel like it is most evident when I do stuff like uh, when I DM for like homebrew or I'm trying to describe just like ar- architecture in general to give people a better idea. I'm just like, oh, I have the most basic terminology. Like I can do rooms, like I can do bedroom, bathroom, hallway, uh, and then like general room as my descriptors and that's about as far as uh my brain goes on vocab and terminology and that gets tough i know what a column is (laughs) is it only because that was like 
the one thing that would get driven through your head in world history or classic? Uh, I'm trying to remember like the actual class name it would be, but like when you go through like Greek history, for instance. I just do about it from. Uh, I've I'm a forever gamer, Neil. I've been playing Carmen Sandiego. Where in Where in time is Carmen Sandiego? Since I was a young child, and they had sort of a Grecian and a Roman uh, portion, and mm. both times they're just like the column is very popular in Greek Greco Roman architecture. Uh, so that that stuck at least. I mean, it's very iconic. Um, but yeah, I have I have such abysmal knowledge when it comes to architecture and knowing what the hell anything is supposed to be called to give it more specificity. I also think there was like a Genesis game called Columns. If my memory's not failing me, that was probably like some sort of attempt at, you know, doing a Tetris or Dr. Mario type game. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but... Which, which yeah. potentially has now been recycled into a more popular mobile game like Candy Crush or something. Who knows? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like uh, Bejeweled or whatever. Candy Crush is like Bejeweled, approximately. I, I think the difference is that Candy Crush is like extra mechanics that incentivizes you to keep playing the game or like using microtransactions. Puzzle, right? puzzle-based, I think. Bejeweled has some sort of randomness to it, doesn't it? Something like that. Similar to how Tetris, I believe, has some randomness. Yeah, I think that's correct. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at Columns, the video game. And without knowing exactly what you do, I'm assuming it's like a match three or match four. Like maybe Mm -hmm. it's even closer to uh, Puyo Puyo, which I played for the first time recently. The little bubble pop game. I've played some Puyo Puyo. Uh that it that's got to be onomatopoetic, right? Like that's just uh that's the sound of bubbles. I'm guessing at least within yeah. like it, it's weird for us obviously being like native native English speakers but hearing what like the onomatopoeias are in different languages. They're pretty great, yeah. Have, I really like French onomatopoeia. It's weird. Like uh wait wait wait. I I'm trying to remember what the dog's bark is cuz it's something like you you would never necessarily uh imagine it would be, it would be like oh god what was it? What was the what was woof in French? I want to say it starts with like a u e something. Yeah. Like au au. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have I told Which, you about the best uh, the best instance of a sound effect in an, any form of uh, literature or uh, visual literature, I guess you could say, like graphic novels? I hope it's not uh, Iggy from Stardust Crusaders, who is a dog voiced by a human, and it is always upsetting. It's, uh, it's even better. It's, it's a Resident Evil comic from decades ago. I remember like reading it as as like maybe a teenager and of course resident evil being you know such a such a great ip of course has comics based on it uh it was a gunshot off of concrete or like some sort of ground so like a, a bullet firing and ricocheting off of the ground and the uh-huh. the sound effect the word used for it was pork <laughs> <laughs> pork <laughs> i yeah that <laughs> that's not a good one Maybe I can still uh, find it, but I don't know. That's pretty good. 
gotta love gotta love sound effects in text um they always seem a little off to me whether it's you know i'm reading a manga and there's actually like the translation to english as best as possible or if i can recognize the characters to some degree just like seeing yeah seeing someone uh give a sound completely opposite from what you would guess is normally pretty charming and funny so what has your week been like uh it's been it's been hectic uh i have finally struck pay dirt neil i uh am the proud owner of a new apartment lease finally four and a half months later or so we see rewards and uh it's expensive it's not necessarily in town those are the those are the bummers but the actual space itself is fairly like it's fairly large for a studio um it's pretty new it's like under five years old and third floor so i third floor on a corner i only have a neighbor below me and to my i guess left if i'm inside the building facing out and uh i get nice natural eastern sunlight in the morning coming in and then a cool sort of western shading uh from the building at the end of the day and now all of the heat will rise and you'll That's be right. even hotter cooked alive uh but it's it's been nice i started i started the actual sort of moving process yesterday um i've just been sort of i'm doing the most slow move possible it is a super slow roll just like set up the kitchen probably 75 percent of the way yesterday we'll do a little bit more today before some fourth of july festivities uh shout out happy birthday to cookie by the way um wait and is, then is his birthday it's on the his fourth? birthday ah. yeah yeah happy so birthday happy, cookie yeah happy birthday to friend and founder of the pod uh cookies to milk and um yeah i'll do a little bit more of that and just piece by piece sort of get it up and running and then when i finally have like a good chunk of a day and some you know strong helpful men I will, or strong, helpful people, I don't care. As long as people are willing to lift the heavy stuff, then I'll move like my bed and the other uh, difficult objects up into the apartment and sort of start living there full time. Pretty nice. exciting though. Less than a 10 minute commute to work, unlike the, uh, the sort of round trip hour and a half plus that I have right now. Congrats. Uh, do you think you'll walk to work or anything or bike? I might try and ride my bike, yeah. It would be, it would probably be two to three times the uh, length of time for the commute. But biking, you get the benefit of, you know, exercise out of it and you get to enjoy the nice weather. So for the most part, I consider that like, that's a fair trade. Uh, I look forward to it. Also saving gas money. In the month of June, I spent over $120 on gas because gas is getting very expensive. Wait, only $120 for one month seems pretty okay, though. But I think I started the month with a full tank, so mm -hmm. I'm also not okay. counting almost a freebie tank. Like I filled up at the gas week. station. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? Let's see. I filled up my 
gas tank yesterday, July 2nd. If we would have counted that one or taken away the other one, I probably would have been closer to like 150, 160 for a month, which is a lot. It's really painful. I filled up what I thought was half my tank yesterday for like 29 bucks, which is just a big ouchie. And also, I think the last like the last time I filled up, it was approximately $3 and this time it was like 3.15. And so the prices are climbing. So big incentive to ride my bike to work. Yeah. But Neil, the the move really precipitates one particular problem that I need to solve sooner rather than later. And that is I'm going to be uh, hosting the podcast and using my computer in a different space soon. But I don't own a desk anymore. And my chair is old enough to be in high school. So I probably need to replace both of those things. Not probably. This chair is going to collapse underneath me any day. So if, I really uh, need to replace the chair. If you wanted to bring up like the inner college student that, you know, because once you're a college student once or once you're a kid, for instance, for that matter, you're always a kid at heart, right? Uh, you could just put your computer on the kitchen counter and use that. And then it's a standing desk. There's not enough. There's actually not enough room for me to do that in the kitchen. The kitchen's nice and it's fairly big, but there's nowhere I can put it that is safe from either splash of water or being next to the oven's like stovetop range. Both incredibly dangerous for the computer. There's not like an island or a peninsula, quote unquote? No, there's, yeah, there's nothing like that really. It's sort of a, I don't know, have you, have you like heard of or been familiar with sort of a shotgun style apartment or studio? Essentially, I go in and I have like a small little wooden floor area that I can put like a breakfast nook or a very small like breakfast, not breakfast, sorry, dinner table or whatnot um, in. And then there's sort of a half height wall that, uh, distinguishes that from the kitchen area and the kitchen area transitions from like wood to actually I think it stays wood now that I think about it so transition into the kitchen area the kitchen area is then its own like sort of long block almost like the uh the fluff in between two parts of an oreo uh it's just this strip of you know we're getting into some pretty high level architectural theory here with the oreo setup uh is, <laughs> but long, is your apartment like basically just a a longish large room that's divided uh vertically like if you're opening the door and you're looking down it like you have sort of dining area up front kitchen and then off to the left hand side is a bathroom which is huge it is the biggest bathroom i've probably ever had I don't know why the bathroom's so big, but it's nice. It's sort of luxurious in that sense. And then actually a laundry room that's really tiny that probably could have used some of the bathroom space if necessary uh, that sort of offshoots from that. But the main structure of that like vertical space is that entryway kitchen er- or entryway dining area, kitchen strip, like thin long strip of kitchen, and then back to sort of a... Uh, like just carpeted sort of room area with a closet in one of the walls, almost in an L shape. And, and so the bathroom and dining or bathroom and laundry room essentially provide or like create a quote unquote hallway that leads to the living slash sleeping area, right? Yes. Okay. I think I understand. Yeah. Yeah. There, that yeah, that seems like the most common way to like 
make the studio apartment layout that I've seen too. As I, as I, I'm I'm not interested necessarily in getting a condo, but uh, mm-hmm. I kind of like looking at architecture in general or specifically interiors. So I, I I think I know what you're talking about. It seems to be like a pretty common like cheap, but also kind of invokes an at the the feeling of like open floor plan within an apartment yeah. setting, even though it's probably more out of necessity than uh, uh, aesthetic design. But yeah, I think definitely out of necessity, but it doesn't look terrible, which right. is you know sometimes the best you can ask for in that situation. But yeah, it's not bad. And then a patio area, and I think the big goal for the patio area is because of that sort of like eastern sunshine um that will come in and most likely shine right on literally anywhere i put the bed i'll probably be getting sunlight in at my eyeballs around you know dawn and sunrise every day so i'm thinking about putting the bed in sort of this like nook area opposite like on the opposite uh side of the wall between the patio and the inside and then getting like some sort of roller shade that I can put out over the balcony area that I can sort of roll down somewhat to like stop that sunlight from piercing in when we're during, when we're in the like daylight all the time months. So like right now where it's 16 hours of daylight or something. When uh, this is the real, like uh, the real question is do you have enough room to put the bed situated in such a way that you can, you can stand on, on either side of the bed or is it going to be in the corner i I can but i'm probably going to put it in the corner no no come on man i i know it eats up a little more space but having both sides like when you're changing your sheets it just improves your quality of life so much that's true yeah yeah i if i put it in the middle it's going to leave just a very very thin corridor but something i could still you know walk along on either side so I guess I'll do that. You've convinced me. It's a very bachelor thing to have it in a corner, but like it's just Yeah. As someone that currently has their bed in a corner, but I'm also confined to like a very tight space. Like with it, uh, my desk ends and there is uh, a bed within excuse me. 2 feet less than 2 feet away. Yeah. The, yeah. the bed starts from the desk. Guys, so. Neil lives in a bunker. He doesn't want you to know that he's actually been uh, prepping dry goods and canned goods for years now. And if anything hits the fan, the Tangential Advisory Podcast and Fancy Ramen TV will live on. Exactly. I mean, you they know what they say. will be broadcast over ham radio, but we're going to do it. You know what they say about canned goods? It's like the best by date is purely just a suggestion. They're actually rated right. for years afterwards, too. That's and right, you know, yeah. canned dog food is actually a spectacular source of protein. <laughs> I too have actually tried Chef Boyardee. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Not not to throw too much shade at Tiffany, but like, you know, I, we all have. She eats dog food. We we all have our our adolescent like nostalgic tastes, right? Like, yeah. I still love. Um, I still love. Uh, what is it? Uh, like Werther's Originals, right? Like yeah, the 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 grandpa candy. But I had a bunch of it uh, as a kid, and I love it still to date. Right? I was gonna say it's less of an adolescent taste in that case, more geriatric. But go on. <laughs> well, so Tiffany at some point developed a keen love for Chef Boyardee spaghettios, and like to date, oh, okay. we still yeah. keep a, a can of spaghettios around occasionally. 
Hey, live your truth. Exactly. I, I I have stuff that I eat that I'm I'm sure uh people are just like, really? You're such a snob with food normally. It's just like, ah, you know, everybody's got a flaw. <laughs> I, I to this day, I to this day rather, I should say, I still think McDonald's fries are like one of the one of the last bastions of the great American <laughs> life that is yet to be tainted. Well, they were changed, right? They were changed from like beef tallow to vegetable oil. So the fact that you're still ride or die for them is pretty good. They've already faced their biggest transformation possible. Yeah. And I think they're Unless better McDonald's now than they decides ever have. to do a steak free, you know. Ooh. It'd be terrible. I, I It'd be so bad. Yeah. I'm I'm also not like huge on the the bigger steak fries to begin with. Like I, I yeah, it's my least favorite type of french fry. If if I want more potato, like more potato, less uh well, no no, I guess I'm trying to think of like the mathematical theory here. It's okay. I'm going to read your mind and say that instead of steak free, crinkle cut satisfies in a way that is similar but better. Well, yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I was getting at. Like, so yeah. like the crinkle cut has more more volume but also more surface area because of the ridges, right? Whereas, so it's crispier. Whereas like your steak fries or steak frites, I think, even though they're, they're, they're wider, I think they probably have less surface area. They, have, they would have less surface area. You're right there. But the, the bigger thing to me, too, is that it's just like, unless the seasoning's there, or unless I have something really flavorful to pair with the steak fries. Like, when I go and get fish and chips, for instance, I think that's a great example of having a good combination of flavors, because, you know, I'm I'm putting malt vinegar on the fish, and oftentimes that gets mixed in with the fries, too. And so it just happens to be a happy, like, integration there. And I'm also using, like, the brown sauce, which is essentially, like, ketchup and a vinegary flavor to it, which I think does a, like, it pairs really well with, like, a blander potato or a blander fry. So I wouldn't use, like, shoestring fries, for instance, with with, uh, HP sauce. They'd get soggy too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. I'm going to double us back to apartment stuff, if only to use it as a transition that I don't know what I'm going to do for a chair. I really don't. I have no idea. But what I do want to do for the desk is I'd like to have a hybrid setup with a sitting, standing desk option. Um, That being said, man, I cannot find a good option for me. This standing desk behind me, for instance, it is about six to eight inches too high. For me to be so like it's on casters you take the casters off you probably reduce three to four inches of height which is great but it's not enough uh i'd have my you know like wrists slightly up at an angle and that would absolutely kill you know like that's a carpal tunnel guarantee and so it's just like well what would you do would you mount a chair higher or get like a higher chair and then sort of a step stool setup i'm not sure how i feel about that the alternative is to get a nice fancy desk that's going to be fairly pricey and uh or or find some like cheap sort of roughshod option but both seem to be equally difficult for opposite reasons right finding finding the affordable option that meets your needs but is maybe you know like fairly uh like cobbled together is something that I'm certainly not against. My last desk cost me $25. So I am not some sort of like, I want to throw big money down snob. But um, I would actually, I would like to invest in a good desk if possible. And what? so I've been looking at these uplift desks. What kind of price range are you looking at? I, 
I would pay up to maybe a grand for a desk. A thousand? Okay, wow. Because because if I'm going to... So I'm looking at these uplift desks. They do go up to like... Before some accessory stuff, they can I, you can get into the thousands, I think, fairly easily. It seems like they service a lot of sort of like commercial enterprise as well. But like the desk behind me would be awesome and suit every need I have, except for the fact that it doesn't get to the right height. And you can get that desk for like under $300, I think. So it's like if I can find an option that satisfies just the, the vertical mobility and being able to hit my sitting range and my standing range... I would uh, I would balk on these uplift desks immediately, but they're pretty fucking cool too. If you check out the website, well, it, there's a whiteboard top that I would never use, but I find very cool that they do that. You mean like just being able to draw with dry erase? Yes, <laughs> markers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's cool, but they're like they're hyper custom customizable. I mean I've. I think there must be hundreds of thousands, uh, if not millions of different configurations based upon the like the main elements that you can adjust. And then I'm also thinking, well, to save desk, desk space and to have a cheaper desk, I get a thinner length desk or like a shorter length, and then I mount my computer under the desk, essentially mount it on, you know, like a U-shaped support uh like a square U-shaped support under the actual desk platform. That would go up with the desk too? Yeah, yeah. It would essentially, it would hold it right under the the main sort of tabletop portion of the desk. Wouldn't the weight constraints of that like mean that you would need to get a more expensive desk though too? I mean... Yeah, these, like, these, uplift, these uplift desks, for instance, can hold 350 pounds, I think is what they said. Uh, which is a pretty good weight to hold. I don't have that much heavy stuff on any of my desks. Like the heaviest thing is my computer case, and then probably my monitors and my mic stand, and my keyboard and mouse and whatnot all combined together probably weigh about the same as my computer case. Uh, okay, I I knew this was a trendy, trendy company oh, it's trendy. when I found one particular product. The Uplift Height Adjustable 60-Inch Conference Ping Pong Table. Oh, I didn't even see that. That's dumb. <laughs> I'm glad that's your reaction of like, that's dumb. What? It's like, yeah, I, I, it, you know, here at Facebook, uh, when we're not getting a conference meeting on, you know, this room doubles as a uh, a, uh, a recreational ping pong room and... Uh, We've got those yeah. Kappa Frappe Chino machines in the back there that you can also get your caffeine on there. Yeah. God damn. I yeah, I look, I like nice things, but I'm not a sucker. Like that's that's so stupid. So frustratingly stupid. Bob says ping pong tables are a regulation size and height, sir. Not Bob here is at right. Facebook. At yeah, Facebook. these tables <laughs> these tables are gonna be too thick as well. And not the right material. Yeah, it's going to be a completely a different bounce, right? Yeah, and I'm not playing, and I don't think that a ping pong table makes a very good desk either. The fuck, fuck that idea. Not happy about that at all. As a ping pong enthusiast and someone who also uses desks, uh, a very niche category, I'm sure. Have I told but, you I'm I'm like my desk is a dining table that i bought no. it's, it's a dining table top i bought from like a home depot lowe's or whatever sort of place 
Uh, so it's like two feet deep and then like three feet wide or something. And then I just mm-hmm. bought table legs and built it myself. Like, which surprisingly turned out to be a pretty good height, but only because I bought an oversized computer chair thinking that like, oh, I'm, I probably need the bigger one. I guess like I'm six one. Turns out it goes way too high, but it just happens to work perfectly for these uh, computer legs. Or you know, computer this actually, this actually does address another thing I was going to talk about with these. And that is... The uplift desk seems like it can get hyper expensive and sort of gimmicky with a bunch of the accessories that are offered. Like, I feel like a lot of this is offered because it's like, uh, you know, I am Coca-Cola or I am NASA or I am Amazon or I am Pfizer or something. I think all of uh, all of which are customers that are uh, on Uplift's website is like we service these suckers. But anyway, I let, if I have outrageous amounts of money, yeah, I'm going to get the uh, most expensive desk possible for my employees as a flex. I'm going to get them that hammock that hooks to the underside of the desk. So my uh, sub 200 pound employees can uh, hang in their hammock when they're tired at work. That's literally another accessory gimmick that they have. Like, I will say those things are very stupid to me. I do not care for them. I think they're silly. Also, a hammock that can only hold 200 pounds is a fairly abysmal hammock when it comes to actually like serviceability for most people. Uh, (laughs) 200 pounds means 200 pounds. If you're somehow, uh, you know, exerting a little bit more force because you're wiggling or you're moving and you're 180 pounds, you could potentially uh, like bust the hammock and have a bad accident at work. But what I want to say is that they also just sell the frame and the frame seems to be really well designed and quite nice. So for $549, I can buy the frame and my brother-in-law, who's an incredibly handy person and I can, you know, get a big slab of wood, pull out, you know, a uh, like sander and some lacquer and whatnot. And I can build my own desktop. Like, I can make my own, you know, block of wood to put on the frame. And that seems very enticing to me. Like, a really appealing option. But will will you get the storage caddy that you can then put your sneakers in? That shit's so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) We could could literally host an entire podcast riffing on the accessories that they offer. Because some of them are wild. Uh, I will say there are others that seem like nice and fine and good. I I also like that they do offer for some of them uh, a they have a curve cut so you can actually you know instead of like a rectangle you have your rectangular shape but then with a small sort of uh, curving bite out of the front that you'd approach so you can have a more ergonomic space to operate within. That's quite nice. I think that's cool. It's it is funny that it's more expensive to get the cut. I know that means that it has to go through sort of more manufacturing labor, but it's just like I'm paying more for less desk. That never feels good. Another thing that you can just do naturally uh if you do it yourself, if I make my own frame. I misread the CPU holder that you were talking about as cup holder. I was like, look, there's even an attachment that lets you put your cup off of the desk, underneath the desk. But Yeah, there's like there's grommets that are cup holders, and I see that and I go, Okay, 
Like, or you just put your cup on the desk. Or you, you get a coaster. Yeah, yeah. There's so many options. There is a bunch of really sleek, like, uh, there's also a bunch of, like, cable management and storage that I think is nice for people who, once again, can afford to just, like, spend a stupid amount of money where you can sort of hide and tuck your cables in, like, a magnetic guard that'll, you know, stop uh, them from getting, like, tangled or, or interacting with the legs at all, but you also can't see them. Like, a bunch of privacy shaders, all sorts of stuff that is, like, once again, awesome for a sort of chaotic office space. Sure. But if you're in your home, like, I don't see, I don't see me doing anything uh, with a desk setup besides having the adjustable height desk uh, with you know, a tabletop that I like, and then maybe getting a custom uh, adjustment pad. Like they have just the regular up down keypad, but then they have like a paddle pad, which I really like those. I don't know if you've ever used that where you just sort of toggle the paddle up or down to put the desk up or down. It's a little more intuitive than hitting the buttons. Um, Or there's like a memory mode setting with either hard keys or soft keys, which are also nice. And those upgrades are like, under a hundred dollars, I think around the fifty bucks range, which seems like actually I think they're cheaper than fifty bucks. So that also seems like a fairly reasonable upgrade on that end. But this is not an advertisement for Uplift. Just saying, this is sort of where I'm trending on what I, I'm looking for, would like to do. See, if if you had said your your budget was like tighter before I started looking at the Uplift site, I would have been like, dude, just get some, just get like a nice butcher's block sort of piece of wood and then go and yeah. buy some pipes some like some metal pipes and just build it yourself <laughs> that that was the option i was going to go for before i realized that there are tabletop legs for sale <laughs> just like oh this cuts <laughs> all of that out but yeah i i'd love to at some point in time do standing desk i do that at work all the time and i think uh, or maybe like 75 percent of the time i'm at work i'm standing now and uh feels like it's a huge like weight off of my lower back oh absolutely i'm sure of it but and all of all of the offices that they show in uh on this website look amazing do i have a stool on my standing desk really nice i do not uh i kind of wish i did just so i wouldn't have to like shift it down uh when i wanted to sit because i i like so so the standing desk I have at work, like we have standard cubes or desks and it's just like a, an after or not aftermarket product. Excuse me. Afterthought. It's yeah. It's one of those products that like convert your regular desk into a standing desk by putting this big thing on it that you can then use a hydraulic system to lift up the, the new desk portion of it. Mm-hmm. So it unfortunately effectively means that like, when I'm sitting down now, that the ergonomics aren't exactly correct. Like, like because my chair doesn't go high enough, essentially. And we only have, like, one chair in the entire office that can lift beyond that of a regular yeah. chair or office chair. Like a, a standing chair, as Bob puts it. Um, and that's reserved for being in, like, the lab area where we have equipment that's set in higher places. So if you actually want to sit down and use that equipment, it needs to, you know, be a chair that goes higher up. But speaking of uh, messing around with like wood, I guess, since we're talking about desks, 
This is fascinating where this transition's going. (laughs) Uh, No, no, it's not that crazy or fascinating or anything. Um, But I've been like going back and forth on the concept of like building a guitar from parts. Oh, dude, yes. Have you, did you ever watch the documentary It Might Get Loud or whatever? Uh, It's got like Jimmy Page and Jack White and other like. I've seen Very, bits of it, yeah. I, I, okay, yeah. I remember what this is now. Um, yeah, I, I, don't I just think remember the whole seeing thing from start. I remember seeing a clip of Jack White sort of build a guitar that was more or less like a wooden box with a fuck, like nails for pickups or something, and it was pretty. It was pretty sick. Like <laughs> it was cool to see. The uh, I feel like um, Cookie has made something similar to that. He made a homemade bass. Have, has he ever shown you it before? I don't know if he kept it. Like he might have disassembled it after he did it just for I don't think he showed me, no. Like I'm pretty sure it wasn't that much different from like a plank of wood and then the hardware involved to actually keep the strings in place and with the right tension and then like a pickup. You know, mm-hmm. roughly where the pickup would be on a on a uh, like on a traditional electric guitar. Uh, I, I wouldn't be doing it that that rudimentary, though, or that raw. Uh, I, I was even thinking of just getting, like, a guitar body pre-made and then ordering a neck for it, but then trying to, like, figure out all the, like, the minutia of what I would want out of a guitar. But as soon as you get into it, like, there, I don't know. It, guitars in general are so different from one another at this point that, like, it's really hard as someone that doesn't necessarily feel so passionate about the instrument as a whole or like what would necessarily be right. I, I like the diversity of all of these different guitars. So trying to like figure out what my dream custom guitar would be. And by dream, I just mean the, the configuration and so forth, not so much like mm-hmm. the fancy materials and stuff. Uh, it, it's been kind of a, kind of a treat, but have you been uh, playing your bass much? No, but I'm excited to now that I'll have a space that I can actually like an open enough space where I can set up an amp and, you know, sit on like the corner of my bed or on my couch and be able to play and not not have to worry. Like I literally just have to worry about, you know, being within the noise complaint hours, which is fairly generous. It's like 7 a.m. to 10 o'clock music, noise, whatnot. Totally cool. And then and then noise complaint rules apply after that. Which is, I'd say, generous enough for any time that I may want to fiddle around. But besides just like checking up on my instruments every once in a while, giving them a good polish and making sure that they're tuned, uh, it's just been, I don't have a space to do it. You yeah. know, I don't have enough room in my room to even pull out the, because I have like a 40 watt amp. And so uh, I don't even have enough space to like pull out the amp and sit down near the amp with like the bass guitar so it's something i'm very excited to get back to but i i will need the space for that first and also sent until i move into the new apartment permanently i have especially during this weather i have like windows cracked open that are windows that you can't like access to break into the apartment not that there's pretty much well actually there's a lot there's all my kitchen stuff to loot and i would hunt someone down if they touched my beloved kitchen items but uh i have you know air circulating through but the ac is completely off because i don't want to be cooling a room that i'm not in 
in triple digit heat for like a week straight. So that's going to be like, along with your computer, one of the last things you end up moving. Depending on the desk situation, I could still be having the computer here for a bit until mm. I get all that sorted out. Um, because once again, I've also thrown away the benefits of like next day shipping if I were to buy something from like Amazon or some sort. So I either have to source locally for uh, you know quick turnaround time or I have to be ready to wait a little while for things to arrive. Which is fine. Like I, I think it is okay to live in a slower moving world. Um, in in this case, it will hamper my computer gaming, but that just means you know I'm going to be bringing bringing lots of switch talk for sure. <laughs> because that thing that thing never fails to be convenient and useful, no matter where you're at, whether it's at home with the dock or out on the go. If you're ready to talk about video games, I've got a Switch game to talk about. I want to hear so much video game stuff because uh, because of all this moving and shit and the weather being outrageously hot. Uh, I've been doing nothing but escaping the heat or working on moving stuff, and I have not played a video game since the last time we recorded this podcast. Oh, I was wondering if you were going to say you were escaping some rooms, too. Eh? Eh? I wish <laughs> I I really do want to get back to that, but it's been it's been crazy busy. Uh, I the only rooms I've been escaping are the ones filled with eldritch horrors in Darkest Dungeon, which I'm doing pretty good on. Uh, I definitely I'm still having a really hard time letting go of uh, of adventurers or uh, I I actually can't I can never remember what units are called in Darkest Dungeon the actual terminology, but it's tough to let go of adventurers just because um you know they're suboptimal or they've or they're a like probably net negative investment gold wise and i also don't want to like funnel them to their deaths in the dungeon either so yeah maybe it's because you're just a decent human being i need to have a harder heart they're just pixels like i wish i could tell myself that but you know dismiss really survived some harrowing stuff and maybe i should keep him around even though he has like two uh virtues and like eight bad like negative quirks well renault was worse renault had all of the worst ones where it was just like activates everything he sees steals all of the loot and keeps it for himself it was just like this motherfucker is gonna end up dead i might as well just dismiss him for his own safety kleptomaniac i think is his first uh, quirk and it's the most annoying one bad yeah Yeah. it's the worst one and you have a small roster starting so it's just like you can't afford to have a kleptomaniac crusader and what you you start off with a vestal crusader highwayman and plague doctor right so plague doctor yep if you if you don't happen to luck out and get another melee unit on the first wagon you can't really go without renault renault or whatever no way Reynolds. you get shredded yeah. yeah so if you get lucky think, and get a crusader then it's like oh you just dismiss him and swap him in but yeah i'm trying to think what the next area is it's it's the wield or the warrens i know the cove is the last place you go to but either way it's just like you really want to have someone who can soak some some good damage because you get some pretty big, heavy-hitting units in the Wield and the Warrens or a bunch of units that are fast and do a lot of strikes. And so, you know, you once again want this sort of tank to be marked in a way that the Ruins is not so bad. Yeah. And the Cove is 
the cove is manageable like the cove is probably the hardest but it does feel like as long as you're not getting stun locked by those jellyfish you don't need you don't need a tank to do a lot of soak a lot of soaking or the the big octa octopus sort of monster it does the octocestus but if you've got a good dodge you can still you can still hold up against that fairly well but let's move let's move on to your games because darkest dungeon can only hold so much attention in time i've i've got one that uh is probably not what you'd expect, but um, Star, or excuse me, it's Kirby's Adventure Star Allies, I think is the full title. I think I played a demo for this that was pretty fun. Yeah, it's it's just overall like a really fun game. I, I didn't do this on stream, or at least I'd rather I didn't play like the majority of it on stream. I think it, we played it like one day a little bit after playing another game game i hope i've got the timeline correct here but after playing another game i'll talk about here briefly because i think it might interest you too uh but star allies is just i think like overall a pretty solid fun sort of casual but not necessarily always casual game uh Mm -hmm. it feels like you're playing super smash brothers except it's an adventure game if that makes sense and obviously the it, it makes sense because you know kirby is sakurai's child so to speak and sakurai obviously is the creator of super smash bros too or at least one of the main figures of it the one that's constantly that's what, on videos showing new characters and that's why kirby never dies ever <laughs> even in is, the uh, the kazuya um promotional <laughs> video so good yeah they have amazing kirby has amazing humor for a character that has no dialogue not even you know like a mama mia in the way that mario does yeah exactly it's hard to even mimic like the sound effect he makes like that booty sound or whatever Uh but but it's actually such a fun uh it's it's such a fun game that like I still struggle to think of how it actually would make sense or work if you were describing what Kirby is. And like the description mm-hmm. I would say here is like maybe more of the rudimentary version of the Kirby, like the initial Kirby, which is it's like a platformer that you also fly in, but like there's still jumping mechanics and such. And it's still very much a tra- traditional platformer. But at the same time, like uh, it works really well. Like you don't really have to worry about fall fall deaths or fall damage i guess you could say because you can constantly fly but there's still that chance that you just don't pay enough attention to i guess mm-hmm. but in like the most recent uh this most recent kirby game like there's this really cool emphasis of uh instead of kirby just absorbing powers and using them you know yourself or even having a second player which i think was a relatively early uh we'll say feature that kirby games had uh you now have up to four allies or three allies that you can pick and uh, Kirby being the fourth. Uh, so it's playable by four different players or you can have, you know, any number, one, two, three, whatever. Uh, and as Kirby, you can also take control of your comrades or your your allies by jumping on them and essentially increasing your, uh, your hitbox, but also being able to control like another character's abilities directly. But what's really what's really nifty about the game, though, is that not only do you have all of the enemy types that you're able to uh, to use or ally yourself to become friends with in this game, they also have like this huge backlog. Like I think it doubles the roster of playable characters from past games. Like so, we're talking classics like King DDD or whatever his name is, 
uh, and like some bosses or last bosses from previous games too, which to me kind of doesn't necessarily mean anything because I've only played like one other Kirby game. Uh, but to Tiffany, who has played, I think the majority of them, it's like a really, or any fan for that matter of the Kirby series, it's really cool seeing characters getting pulled out of past games and some of them having like these really kind of advanced uh, move sets. Like there's one character in particular, oh, yeah. or th- rather it's three characters put into one. It's Rick, um, Keen, and I can't remember the other thing, but it's it's basically a hamster, a bird, and a fish that are like is, essentially is the focal point of a feature in one of the previous uh, Kirby games, I think for the Super Nintendo, where you use those creatures to like traverse better on certain Terran types. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they get they get references across a bunch of Kirby games. Like I remember in Crystal Shards, for instance, they uh, don't show up at all. But if you get the boomerang power plus the rock power, you essentially carve the rock into different shapes, and you can carve the rock into a a moving Rick shape, a fish that does nothing, <laughs> or uh, or the bird. Uh, and they're actually they're fairly useful, but they do you know the little references for it in that way. It's just very funny that you can become the fish and then you can turn the rock, and that's like that's it as far as I can tell because you can't become a rock underwater. I don't think it, it it's really charming how much time they put into the game too. It feels it feels like one of the most polished uh, Nintendo experiences that doesn't necessarily show its polish or it's like it's passion for the game through a matter of like, here's, you know, here, what I'm trying to say is it's, it's different in a way that you look at breath of the wild, which the game is like crafted through not just quality, but also quantity. And you like, you can tell there's a lot of love put into breath of the wild, but in contrast, uh, Kirby is this game where like the, the, the design itself isn't necessarily extremely expansive, but, what they have or what what they don't have in quantity they have a huge amount in quality uh going from small details just like when you're controlling rick the hamster if you let Mm -hmm. rick go into its idle animation the idle animation is like a one minute loop maybe even more than that where rick starts to fall asleep and once rick falls asleep they like roll onto one side and then when you're like okay this is probably it for the animation it rolls onto another side and then it rolls on its back and then it starts to slowly get you know like slowly like like roll itself back up and wake up it's like (laughs) and and this is essentially like a bonus character yeah it's impressive um there, there's not like I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me to criticize the game because I don't necessarily know what I would want different about it, and I'm not like a long-running Kirby player. But w- when I look at this game, I definitely feel like it has a lot to offer for like the Kirby fan base, if that makes sense. The story is pretty, uh, you know. Obviously, it's still like a game written and made for kids to play, but also like old fans to to enjoy. And I think they do a good job in that regard. Uh, some of the boss fights actually can be kind of tough if you're not using two players. I think w- I think mm-hmm. when you introduce more than one player, a lot of the challenge of the game becomes kind of trivial because it gives you uh, it gives you workarounds and exploits that you could only do if you had two players. Like some some areas of the game involve you picking up a key and getting a key to a certain location. 
The drawback to holding the key is that you can no longer fly, so you have limited mobility. But if the second player picks up the key, the first player, or Kirby, can go and have as much freedom as they want, and you can plummet to your death being like the non-Kirby character. If you plummet to your death, you just instantly teleport to where Kirby is. So you get to avoid a lot of the complex, or not even complex, but a lot of the harder-to-execute platforming by just not doing anything and letting the first player who can fly do anything that otherwise would have been complicated for you as the key holder. Uh, It's kind of like the bubble mechanic from Super Mario Brothers U. If uh, you've done that before, where if like someone in the lead gets ahead on the side scrolling, then people that fall back behind the screen essentially are, are uh, bubbled and they start to like float up to catch, like keep pace yep exactly exactly okay it's a good mechanic it is nice that they do that for any sort of game that's co-op because the alternative is sticking the screen and like that street that screen drag fight or killing someone because you are moving ahead of pace or behind pace or split screen and and the the, like Mm -hmm. i I would say especially for a game like this which is i i think by design and nature supposed to be a little more casual like doing something that doesn't punish the players is the right move so mm-hmm. the game i wish maybe could have been a little longer because we we finished it and like uh the the only thing i really had to say about it or feel or felt about it was that like oh, i could have used a little more campaign or a little more story mode but i mean mm-hmm. for what it is there's still a lot of stuff in there and there's a bunch of bonus modes to the game too that i think offer offer you know more playability, but I tend to be the type of person that like would rather have more main campaign and less bonus content, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I feel that. But uh, the reason we got on got on this uh, Kirby kick to begin with was because a game we were streaming on Friday, again, if I remember things correctly, a game we were streaming Friday turned out to be a complete dud. And it's completely on me, by the way. So I don't want to necessarily demean the uh, like the product, but we uh, we picked up the Doki Doki Literature Club Plus edition or Plus okay. version on Steam, which you're familiar with Doki Doki Literature Club, right? We played it together, I believe. Oh, did we? Yeah, way back in the day. Maybe we did. The so uh, the game is. Uh, a paid version of Doki Doki Literature Club. And I was I knew there was new content. Uh, I, I didn't look into it at all. So I, I didn't know what to expect. I was thinking, oh, you know, there's a bunch of things that like I really wish they would have elaborated on. Uh, but given it's a free product and whatnot before, I can understand why it wasn't really gone too, deep, like, too much deeper into it. And obviously, mm-hmm. since the game was released, a lot of people really love the character Monica, who... If you get like the, well, regardless of what ending you get in Doki Doki Literature Club, there's not necessarily a whole lot of content. Monica is your friend, right? Monica is the one with the ponytail that you can't write poems for. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So obviously, I'm getting into some spoilers. I, I, I mean, I guess if the game's like three or four years old, but still, just a warning. Uh, 
needless to say, if I had read the description for what Doki Doki Literature Club Plus has to offer or had to offer, mm-hmm. I may not have necessarily picked it up because the game doesn't add additional content like an epilogue or more story or like an addition to the story, like this, the story as a whole. Instead, it's like six or eight pre or like not prequel um six or eight side stories that take place before the events of the game character building lore building as far as i can tell and it like spoilers again big spoilers here it doesn't make sense for me to have that because the concept of Doki Doki Literature Club is it's about characters within the game realizing that they're in a game and that yeah. their world doesn't exist. And yet we we were going through one of the extra chapters, which the premise is about the the best friend and the the president of the literature club, the starter of it. Yeah. Like meeting and trying to get new members. But like within the canon, if you want to think of it that way, of Doki Doki Literature Club. Like that that event never happens because it was it was never scripted in the game, right? So yeah. why are we why are we interested in it? It's not to say that like I, I don't think this is a bad product or a bad thing a bad uh, story to be told because I think this is exactly what people want if they really love the characters of Doki Doki Literature Club and really like the the backstory of it. But like as someone that's more interested in the in the meta aspect of it and the fact that the game is like you know sort of an well, a, a horror game like this heartwarming stuff doesn't necessarily compel me to play it any further. Yeah, it certainly counters the narrative that you're already familiar with. Right. Shizio says, every day I imagine a future where Ramen read the patch notes before playing the game. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Never. impossible futures. The the problem the problem though is that like as much as that would always be the smarter move, mm-hmm. I like sur- I like surprise. You know, I like being oh, yeah. shocked by like what I'm getting into. I like not necessarily knowing what is coming around the corner, unless I'm actually playing a horror game and I want to, you know, don't I want mean, to be scared. I remain spoiler free on Metal Gear Solid Five for like. Five for six years after its release. Until I ruined it for you. I asked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking speaking of a game or instance where I don't want to know the spoilers, I don't want to go too deep into it or anything. I, I Well, I'm going to shut myself out from any content for, from here on out. I, the Somnium Files, got a sequel announced. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know if it was a sequel or if it was... Um going to be yeah i guess it it seems like it was going to be a sequel i didn't look too closely i did what you're supposed to do on the internet and that is blindly sort of uh retweet or link it towards neil so he's aware (laughs) i so apparently there was some arg campaign going on a few days before the announcement and uh i wasn't i wasn't aware of it at the time either um but like if, if you went to a certain url you ended up seeing like a bunch of cryptic clues that also had like references to 999. Yeah. So you were like, wait a second, is this like what's going on here? But ultimately it turned out to be an I uh, sequel announcement. But it, it draws, I think, I don't know if people are necessarily asking this anymore, but it draws the question as to whether or not the two take place in the same universe. 
Yeah, okay. So, that makes sense. But but then there's like I th- this could be taken it, for a grain of salt, of course, but like during yeah. the uh teaser trailer of uh I the Somnium file Nirvana Initiative, I think is the the title of the the game. Uh Mizuki is uh playing w- without getting into spoilers or anything regarding like the the nature of it outside of that. Uh the character is playing um the opening part of 999 or VLR? I don't remember. It's one of the two. Though. Oh, that's great. So, I don't. I don't know if you recognized it or zoomed in enough to see what it was. But nope, I did not. But like, that's pretty cool. I. I mean, they could. Yeah, they could exist in two separate worlds. I think fairly easily. Yeah. There's not any overlap that I'm familiar with yet that makes it. Uh, that makes it seem like they would have to have some sort of familiarity even like narratively right the way that i works with the multiple timelines or whatever can that can be a gimmick that can exist in any game in a way that the events of 999 and vlr what's been suggested to me from vlr so far right uh slight spoilers potentially Potentially, no. I think we talked about them in the last episode. It's just like those two have to exist in the same world because they bring back some some characters from Nine Nine Nine. Sure. In a way that, like, making a nod in game, uh, what is that? Is it diegetically? I believe, yeah. Making a diegetic reference, like uh, Mizuki playing Nine Nine Nine, doesn't necessarily mean that they inhabit the same world. It can be sort of a, a tip of the cap or something. Or maybe that means I takes this. place in our world. Maybe I is actually a true story. Maybe. 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 I mean, there's plenty of weirdos like Oda out there, so it's possible. My boy Ota. Poor, poor Ota. <laughs> Hilarious that Neil's like, no, he gets better and uh, you'll get, you'll understand and appreciate him more. And at the end, I was like, I don't know. He still kind of sucks. Like, yeah, but you empathize with him. He got a, a kid got a bad hand, but also doesn't make him less annoying. But you empathize with him, you- right? <laughs> you empathize with him, right? Right. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying you necessarily would fall for the same thing that he did, if you will, like go down that same route in life. But I feel like by the end of I, you're like, you know, Ota, he's not that bad of a guy. Sure, he's kind of a scumbag still, but he's not that bad of a guy. You know who my favorite scumbag is? Pewter. Pewter makes sense. He's <laughs> He's got someone that he's uh, infatuated with. Uh, he'll do anything for them, even to the point of what I would say is a very clear and obvious like red line or like line that yeah. he should not be crossing. And he's just like, but, but I love him. Yeah. I gotta do it. Yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe, just maybe. Uh, you know, I, I'm, you know what? Maybe just I, maybe if I were Oda, I, if I grew up the way Oda did, I too would, uh, like, harass and uh harangue the uh young woman i'm obsessed with online and then come to her aid uh in a completely sort of astroturfed uh <laughs> i campaign. mean 
the the best moment I, I I'm giving up on defending Ota, but like the best moment yeah. for Ota is when he's Good. talking about how like not heartbroken, but how worried he is about a character, and yeah. he's at that like mermaid cafe, and he's like, yeah, yeah. I I just I I'm so worried, and the mermaid like proceeds to feed him food, and he's like so love struck. Yeah, afterwards. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't i don't think i can take another bite um um mm. <laughs> eating his amu rice yeah that was that was actually also a turning point for me where i was just like you're irredeemable you piece of scum oh. <laughs> uh, if, if you were games what's up any other games that you've been up to nah i mean i i started dragon's dogma and uh, i've been playing xcom too but i don't need to i'm not i don't need to go into those at the moment I'm trying to think what my goals are besides more VLR uh, when I have the time. That may have to be it. I may just have to really like dig in on VLR and make as much progress as I can. Oh, and Scott, thank you very much for the gift of the House of Oh, you should know Morgana. I'm trying to remember like what the hell the yeah. title is. The the House in Fata Morgana. I'll uh, that that might end up expediting that playthrough a little sooner. But, uh, oh yeah, it's going to end up on stream, I'm sure. Potentially, I I know I, like for for I too, I don't think Tiff and I will probably stream it. We'll probably play it privately since that's like we 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 didn't stream 999 VLR Zero Time Dilemma. We didn't stream oh. uh I the Somnium Files. We are we haven't been streaming Sekimeya, which is like the I I I think I talked about it a little bit. It's a game that's like it seems like a love letter to like 999 um you know trapped inside of a museum should only be in there for like i think it's 12 hours but obviously things are getting weird that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff uh so we probably won't stream i2 as far as i know though like i i am tempted to do i'm tempted to do an i playthrough on stream because i know cookie never finished his to show mm-hmm. anyone that like that's curious enough about the game and then like maybe after tiff and i play i2 uh to do like a lore playthrough or like a story discussion playthrough afterwards yeah. on stream but i, I don't know like, i just have a hard time accepting that there's going to be a sequel after i got uh what i can only uh describe as the most rewarding sort of uh final scene in a game that i've ever gotten uh that I did with, you know, the true ending for I, blindsided by it in a way that uh, still, like, makes me sort of grin uh, like a fool when I think about it. Yeah, it, it's still kind of a tearjerker for me, you know? It's, Just the entire yeah. sequence. It's a, it's, a, it's a charming, heartfelt game that, for the most part, uh, I think is, like, it's interacting with your emotions in a way that is discreet enough that like when I did finally have an emotional response, I was like, why am I choking up over a dumb fucking game? <laughs> like the protagonist, she, she, just, she just wants to dance. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, it's more or less a skit, you know, like I, I feel like I am a character in a skit at that moment where I shouldn't be having such uh, an emotional response. And yet that's exactly what it did to me. I was like, fine, I respect this game. This game is, has literally forced my hand. 
I respect this game. And finally, after years and years, I respect Neil just a little bit. <laughs> I finally played a visual novel that made me feel something. That's right. Um, and now I'm all in. Nine nine nine, very fun. Can't wait to see what happens in VLR. Do you think I've yet to I've yet to get to the next vote? Ah, uh, okay. If that's any indicator of where I'm at. You still feel kind of betrayed about your first vote, man. I feel like shit. I can't believe all ice would do that to me. But also, I knew she was going to do it to me, which makes it harder. Why would you? Why? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, I'm trying to think uh, what what the last point I wanted to make though was. Um, oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so the one thing about I two uh, to address, like you saying, like you know, it's hard to think there'd be a sequel. Uh, if this means anything to you at all, uh, the director or not director, I guess rather the writer of the two games, no longer director on I two. Um, the writer uh, said that uh, there are going to be basically, basically, whatever, or I, I don't know verbatim how he says it, but I think he said exactly that there are going to be no spoilers for I1 and I2 and I2 and I1, if that makes sense. So you could play the games independently of each other. Completely separately. So That also makes me feel like maybe i don't know i guess yeah we'll still probably play date date and aiba combo i don't see how else you would do it unless of course we don't and we play wait did Mizuki, you see did you see aiba, the trailer at or, all no i didn't peek at the trailer uh, at all. and you purposely are not doing it right yeah i okay i would probably play it yeah oh but no no you're you're purposely not watching the teaser or trailer right yeah, I probably will purposefully not watch it. Okay. I chose I chose not to look because I thought, well, there could be some tiny little spoilers. And then the consideration always comes like, well, why don't I look at a teaser? It's going to be scrubbed for like any really critical information. And also, even if it weren't, if it's a long enough period of time, I'm going to forget about it anyway. Yeah. So I might I might actually take a peek. I'm like on the fence about it. Because some of those questions may be answered for you Immediately right off the answered. bat. Uh, Bob okay. says no spoilers, but there. Oh, but will there be callbacks? Yeah, uh, he said that there will be more payoff having seen or played I one and then playing I two. So you should play I one and then play I two, but it's not required. It's not required reading. Like you don't really have to watch episodes one through three before you watch episodes four through six in Star Wars, but. I mean, that's a completely different circumstance, obviously. Yeah. Well, Neil, I think we did it. We had a fairly successful podcast. We talked about games most of the time. Yeah. I hope to show off at some point in time a beautiful, full slab mahogany desk. Mahogany? Oh, wow. You're getting... I don't know. No, I, that's, that's way too wow. fancy for me. Uh, a really cool OSB <laughs> desk platform that I made myself. I... I... Uh, might, might I, I really think I? Oh, go ahead. Might I recommend? Why don't you go the uh, the ebony route? Get some nice, high quality ebony. Okay, yeah. I'm just gonna get stone. Actually, <laughs> I'm gonna do some sort of slate desktop. Some marble. But I'm looking at these legs now, and the legs are 549, and they they telescope out to like a full 80 inch desk width if I wanted to, which is huge and awesome. And so. 
I'm really thinking that might be a good route. Like, I, I think I might do it. 80, 80 inch desk, 27 and a half, uh, yeah, 27 and a half inch width or like depth on the desk. That seems pretty good. That seems very large. It seems huge. It's probably way too much. But the, the legs, they telescope out so you can do a, a smaller size. So maybe I'll do like a six foot width desk because where I'm at right now, Honestly, I could do a five-ish foot because I have I have a five-foot desk right now. And if I were able to put my tower underneath it, I would still have a ton of extra room. But this could be great for D&D too. So maybe I leave a little workspace open for D&D because I use my computer for it, but I never have enough room for like reference books and a dice tower or tray and the other stuff that I need. So wait, 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 wait. If you're already at your computer for D&D, is it Why the tactile feel dice? Of, of using dice? I'm actually dice agnostic. Die. I, I, I use whatever die uh, feels right in the moment. Sometimes it is straight up like digital dice uh, from Google or digital dice in in like support of D&D Beyond or virtual tabletop simulator of some sort. Or I have physical dice. And the physical dice that sort of match the color palette of a character, I like to roll because I, it is, it's just fun. It feels right. So what if, let's say, you've got, you've got someone at your, at your table. Their name uh-huh. is, their character name is... Ishmael. Their, their OG character, or OC character is Link. Their, their name's uh-huh. Link. And he happens to yeah. wear green. And, uh, and so you accidentally roll the red die. So I'm gonna use I'm gonna use sort of a green sparkly die here for well, for well, length. But what happen what happens if you accidentally roll a red dice or die like this? Yeah, and know. then are you like, wait a second, that doesn't count, and then you have to switch over to the green? I would love to do that, but no. If 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 I do that, I just think, oh shit, it's my fault if the roll is bad. <laughs> it's it's dumb superstition, but it's fun. Uh, I really, I invite anyone who wants to entertain themselves for like five minutes, go to a guy's YouTube channel called Z Bashu. And he has two, it's Z-E-E and then space Bashu, B-A-S-H-E-W. He has two videos called Dice Training. They're very funny. Um, I think anyone who's played D&D will enjoy them quite a bit. Anybody who's played any sort of tabletop game with dice rolling will probably appreciate it. Um they're just they're weird and and uh, in in the most pleasant of ways, like playing into the superstitions that weirdos have. But I gotta run, Neil. I'm yeah. gonna pee my pants. That's the podcast. <laughs> I've been holding got... mine in too. So, all right, folks. Uh, if we had bigger bladders, we'd have more content. But unfortunately, this is where the road ends. We will see you all next week. Happy Fourth of July. Um, hopefully, enjoy your long weekends if you have them. Don't blow up your hands, guys. Keep all your fingers. That's a fancy ramen tangential advisory podcast rule. You can't game if you don't have all your... Well, if you lose your fingers. If you have less fingers to start with, you probably can game a lot better than someone who's just uh, donated a couple digits to an M80 they forgot to throw. Fireworks. Overrated. Have a good one, guys. See ya.